0: that demeanor of being a listener someone that really cared about their well-being with the ultimate goal of making it better for all of us
1: hey what's going on you're listening to the live leaderly podcast i'm your host darren alba here on the show we invite guests from all walks to share their stories about leadership which just become stories about life i ask that with the people in your life please tell your story listen to theirs but in the meantime we'll do it together here on the live leaderly podcast and joining us on the show today, Independent Board Director at Mobiquity Technologies, Mike Wright. Mike, welcome to the show. How are you?
0: Thank you. Glad to be here.
1: Glad to have you on, Mike. Where are you calling in from today?
0: Uh, Freehold, New Jersey.
1: Freehold, New Jersey. All right. Awesome. Well, Mike, I one of my first questions I asked, my favorite question actually, is if you have a first memory of leadership, maybe when you were a, a kid or
0: a teenager, what was that for you? Well, my life over the years has is- from being a toddler and then when I was able to play organized sports at the age of five was being a football player. Pop Warner, you know, youth football, uh, became very good at a young age, but, you know, was a team captain. And, uh, you know, that that competitive nature, drive, being able to work with different uh, people from different backgrounds, you know, different exposures, but folks tended to gravitate, you know, my my peers tended to gravitate to me and say, hey, Mike, what do you think? And that kind of shaped my life over the years and all the way through college where I played college football.
1: What, uh, what position did you play, Mike?
0: I was, well, growing up, I was a running back. Okay. And then uh, my high school coach, who I still keep in touch with to this day, uh, he saw me, he said, hey, Mike, you're a smart kid, you know the game. He made me a quarterback. Okay, well. So I, I made the varsity as a freshman quarterback growing up in Virginia. And that led me all the way through high school. And then I went off to NC State and was converted to a strong safety on defense. And the coach said, Hey, Mike, you, you know the game. You're smart. We know you understand coverages. So being able to go from offense to defense would be an easy transition. Okay. And yeah. I'm glad I made that move.
1: From from throwing the ball to uh, intercepting and batting passes, that's that's awesome. Exactly.
0: exactly.
1: And, and so, Mike, could you share a little more about your background and, and where you're from and, and what you've been over up to? Yeah.
0: Absolutely. I'm originally from the uh, Portsmouth, Virginia, uh, small town down near uh, you know, the Tidewater, Virginia Beach area. I uh, grew up there. My formal years, educated there, went off to college at NC State. I was a uh, Student athlete. I was valedictorian of my high school class. I always kind of prided myself with being able to balance not only my love for sports, but also the academic side. And that, that kind of has governed my life. Uh, I was valedictorian of my high school class, uh, maintaining a 4.0 average and participating in three sports. And football was my favorite. Uh, after college, uh, I knew I wanted to major in engineering. I uh, wasn't good enough to uh, make it to the next level, professional level, but I was able to graduate in four years with a degree in industrial engineering, and landed my uh, first job as an in, a plant engineer with General Foods, which later became Kraft Foods, and I uh, and we were acquired during my time there in, in '85. We were acquired by Philip Morris, so I spent 25 years with the Philip Morris companies, which is now known as Altria. And in levels of increased leadership over the years, I moved seven times with the company to gain you know, greater experiences, greater exposure, greater leadership positions. And uh, after 25 years, um, we ended up closing the, the New York office back in uh, 2009, where I had attained the, the highest level of human resources, vice president of human resources administration for Philip Morris Companies in our corporate office was part of the leadership team that was involved with uh, breaking up the companies when we spun off our food business and our tobacco business. And we knew we were working ourselves out of a position, but, you know, we we were treated very well Uh, after 25 years. I said, what do I want to do next? And I knew I wanted to be of a level of a senior VP or a CHRO, chief human resources officer. So I landed with an energy company uh, based in New Jersey, Cavanta Energy, uh, which uh, was public company. It was a public company back in two thousand nine. I spent nearly ten years there as the chief human resources officer of a public company, and it was a five thousand person uh, company. When I left there, when I joined, first joined there, we were three thousand uh, folks strong. And since that time, five years ago, I decided that after 35 years in corporate, I wanted to really focus on other priorities, uh, keeping family there foremost, but also giving back in the community. So I've been involved in in several nonprofit organizations, uh, namely the YMCA of Greater Monmouth County, where I'm currently the vice chair and will be incoming chair in July of this year. And I also serve on a community care center board, uh, an entity named Lunch Break, which has a a feeding component, clothing, a life skills center. And then the other component is focused on, you know, public company service. So as you mentioned, I am an independent director now with Mobility Technologies with hopes to gain, you know, another uh, board seat or two on a public company. Okay, wow. so covered covered a lot of ground,
1: uh, starting being a valedictorian while doing three sports. That's that's super impressive. Uh, I played one sport, and it was nowhere nowhere near valedictorian. Um, but you uh, you graduated. Uh, your your trade was industrial engineering. How did you find yourself in human resources from from engineering?
0: Well, industrial engineering was one of those disciplines that tended to be uh, heavily involved with people interaction. You know, particularly in manufacturing settings where you were always tasked with optimizing, you know, whether it was a workplace design, a a particular line efficiency, or what have you. So, it was always that human interaction component, talking with operators. Uh, My experience early on was in union environments, which I really valued uh, that that experience, and we were uh, highly involved back in the mid-80s when I started uh, with participative team management, you know, back then he called them quality circles. Uh, so it was that interaction of how do you get people involved with their task in hand? Because the folks that do the work know the best of all. We we can sit and and observe, but the best answers come from the folks that are doing the work. So I got involved and I moved into a production supervisor role because I really at that point having an industrial engineering degree, I said I wanted to use that technical expertise to make me a better general manager an operation leader to eventually become a plant manager. So I went out as a production supervisor of the actually stovetop stuffing department. If you ever had that over Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. or times. And we were, it was a, it was a tight knit, you know, 60 employee unit that started out as a small test market facility that really, when the product launched nationally, it just took off. But it was something unique about that department where folks, even in a labor union environment, folks got their jobs done collectively, regardless of, you know, job assignment or it's not my job because of the contract. And we wanted to kind of bottle that and leverage that to take it across the entire facility. So as I fast forward, I uh, I got exposed to the labor contract and understanding how to um, interpret and administer a, a, a labor contract, and um, that test market facility became kind of a prototype that was under the Human Resources Department at the time. That how can we leverage that? So I took that learning. I was I was asked if if I was interested in a more formal position in Human Resources at that time it was called Personnel, mm-hmm. and I never looked back. And, and 35 years later, I I always prided myself on being able to uh, get along with. Folks of many different disciplines, uh, strong interpersonal skills, able to build relationships, and I took a liking to it and stayed in it.
1: Okay, awesome. And so as you ascended through these different roles, you eventually moved up to vice president and director roles. Um, looking back to, I guess, Mike, as those those earlier supervisory roles, how have you grown or thought about leadership differently over the years um, as as you ascended up?
0: Sure, I would tell you some of the. The basic tenets of leadership, even from that kid playing youth football, kind of resonated throughout, you know, my my life and my career. Part of being a a good leader is being a good listener, and, and leveraging that that ability to listen to uh, inputs from from all uh, the leaders don't have all the answers. Leaders are able to leverage the collective, uh, I guess, decisions and inputs from many. To come up with the the best the best outcome, so uh, you know, being that young production supervisor, when most of the folks that I was leading could have been my parents and in some cases grandparents, but being able to have that that demeanor of being a listener, someone that really cared about their well being, with the ultimate goal of making it better for all of us, and I've kind of taken that and and leveraged that throughout. Throughout my my life and my career, being
1: able to listen to those around you, regardless of what position you are in, now that's that's interesting. That you know, when you're in that spot, folks that were your parents or your parents' age and in your grandparents' age, yes. that that has to be an interesting dynamic. Was that a uh, I guess a shock or like a an adjustment for you?
0: It initially, was an adjustment, but then you know when you when I sat back and and really looked at you know what was expected of me. I took that role seriously. I'm a production supervisor. How can we optimize and come up with a product that met all the quality standards? We met our efficiency numbers, our productivity numbers. But also, that facility, you know, it was the grace of God that we all end up in different parts of life. These folks were had high school education, and they were able to put their kids and their grandchildren through school from a, a good-paying production job. So I looked at it as, hey, I, how can I, you know, add value uh, in my role as a production supervisor, irrespective of ages, and and I and I saw it where people didn't treat me as if I was their child; they treated me as I was their supervisor. But also, there was no condescending behaviors on either part. You know, I'm I'm not better than them, and they weren't better than me. We all worked for the same company and with the hopefully the same goals.
1: And as you uh, ascended through and added maybe more subordinate leaders underneath you, do you uh, have any common, I guess, leadership lessons that you would try to pass on to these new leaders in these in these new roles under you?
0: Yes, uh, absolutely. And the, the higher you go in the hierarchy of leadership, really the role, I think, of a great leader is how can you really, really develop others? Develop, you know, as you talk about succession planning, mentoring has been a big part of my leadership style of being able to, you know, lift as we climb, get back, you know, never forgetting where we, once we've started, which I haven't. And I, I saw my uh, being a, at a at a at an area of greater influence in an organization and having a, a larger span of control. You know, people are always watching, even when you don't think they are. They're watching. So, you know, being able to demonstrate. You know, just being a good human human being, and uh, but my role as a leader was really to help develop my team, and there were really four primary responsibilities that I lived by as a leader. And as I diagnosed it later in my career, I was doing it early on, but just never really framed it. You know, first it was setting direction and expectations for the team. You know, being there as a leader prioritizing the objectives, uh, having a vision such that the folks that I led knew where we were headed, but really setting those expectations and direction up front. Then allocating the resources. You know, whatever the task was at hand, you know, my role as a leader was to allocate the necessary resources to make sure that the the task would be accomplished. many cases, I had to break down obstacles and roadblocks for my team members, but that was important relevant and very impertinent uh, being a leader. Third, I had to develop individuals on the team. You know, it was, you know, we could only progress as far as the capability of team members. So it was my role as a leader to make sure that they were being developed and that they were being nurtured, not only as individuals, but as as a team. And whatever gaps that made it may have been present that I, you know, put in plans to make sure that they were developed and grew. And fourth, we had to know where we were going. We had to measure progress against our objectives. So having measurements and metrics in place, using dashboards, visuals that were communicated to the team, and having those at the forefront were very relevant uh, as far as being a leader and providing that leadership.
1: If you you think to some of the most impactful leaders in your life, the ones that you've admired the most, what are the things that they did in the days and the weeks and the months that – that you really admired and you've tried to incorporate into your, your leadership um, style throughout life.
0: Sure. I think back, they, uh, they were empathetic, you know, folks that um, once again, they were great listeners. They, they listened to, uh, to understand, you know, not having preconceived preconceived notions about someone or some event but being empathetic being great listeners and then being there of in a in a role of being a mentor uh and you know and i think being a mentor uh you, a great mentor i think leaves it up to the protege or mentee to kind of help drive the conversations but at least being accessible you know never being too busy i always say no one's ever too busy where they can't pick up the phone or i guess in today's world you know texting uh i'm not really a social media guy other than linkedin but i guess there's you know, technology kind of has enabled uh folks to stay in touch and i have just seen uh, leaders that have been accessible and being there when needed
1: yeah it's a uh, i really enjoy this podcast because just yesterday when i was i was speaking with someone they mentioned that accessibility as well um and a lesson that they learned because they had a a junior leader under them who didn't think they were as accessible because they were very busy at the time. So they didn't want to bother them with their problems. And that was a, a big leadership lesson for for him. But I'll, I'll shift uh, to another theme of the show is uh, our belief on the team, the leaderly team, that anyone can learn to lead, regardless of your education, your upbringing, your background. We believe anyone can learn to lead. Is that something that also resonates with you, Mike?
0: Absolutely. Uh, you, you mentioned my grad school uh, at Columbia. I can recall very vividly in 1995, I was taking a leadership course, uh, which was in the human resources elective, and the the theme or the hypothesis was, are leaders born or are they developed? And you know, this has been an age-old discussion, um, but I'm a firm believer that leaders are actually developed, and leaders are developed uh, as early ages as you know, being toddlers, you know, up through their primary uh, days of, of, of education, um, you know, you, you learn, uh, you can be developed from your environment. You know, I grew up in a, a blue-collar town. My, both my parents never went to college, but they both had high school degrees. And I always saw how they worked and were always working to provide, uh, to make sure that we as a family uh, had it better than they did. And so that installation of having a strong work ethic is a leadership quality. I think it's a leadership trait that can follow one throughout their entire career, um, whether it's in a working career or even their, you know, personal life. But I'm a firm believer that you know through training opportunities, through uh, you know cross-functional interactions, whether it's in a workplace, whether it's in a volunteer situation where you're exposed to uh, groups that may have uh, certain needs, you know, there's there's lessons to be learned in all of those experiences. And I think those lessons uh, kind of help shape uh, one's belief, shape how one may address a certain issue if they are encountered, uh, encounter that issue, which I think is another trait of being a leader. You know, how, how does one kind of respond or react given their situation. And that's, you know, this is such thing, situational leadership. I think it's those experiences over life that help develop the way we lead.
1: Help you and, and mold you into to how you lead and how you interact with others. And so, Mike, we're uh, about to wrap up here shortly, but I wanted to turn it back over to you if you had any other thoughts or advice about leadership before we close out.
0: Yes. I mentioned early on about the age-old debate on whether leaders are born or made. I believe we are born with innate, certain innate qualities and traits that are developed and sharpened over time through our life experiences. Development takes place in many different circumstances, both personally and professionally. Leaders are found in all facets of life, youth and adult sports teams, churches, community organizing, PTA, band, etc. cetera. The list goes on and on. I found that my leadership in the workplace started early in my career and that it continued and evolved uh, as I retired as a chief human resources officer of a publicly traded company. So I would coach and, and, and really encourage others that, hey, do not sell yourself short. Leaders are everywhere and everyone can be a leader and everyone may not want to be a leader and that's okay as well because leaders need followers. Thank you. All
1: right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story, Mike, and sharing your thoughts. Really appreciate you.
0: Thank you, Darren.
1: And so for all those out there listening, thank you again for joining us here on the Live Leaderly Podcast.